listening to Impact Sports Daily, WDBM's daily rundown of all things sports. Welcome back to Impact Sports Daily. Today is Thursday, November 4th. I am your host, Matt Merrifield, joined today with Jacob Phillips. Got a lot of news in the NFL today, especially with Thursday football on tonight. We also will get into some hockey and college football talk later in the show. First, Jacob, we got to talk about the OBJ drama in Cleveland. He has been sent home and is told not to show up to practice for the second day in a row. What do you make of the situation? Yeah, I think Odell has really been one of those players that you're not quite sure. You know, we haven't really been quite sure if his future was in Cleveland to begin with. You know, starting out in New York with the Giants and then moving to Cleveland, he didn't really do a whole lot for Cleveland. I think their running game has really been their savior. I don't think they're really using Odell the way that we thought they would. So I think that Cleveland doesn't really need him at this point. I think they can really rely on their run game with Nick Chubb and Dearness Johnson right now leading it while uh, you know Kareem Hunt's still out. But I think that this is also an opportunity for Odell to go somewhere that you know needs a star wide receiver that can really make a difference. Yeah, I definitely think that uh, Odell was great in New York, obviously, had the drama towards the end of his time there. Came to Cleveland, everybody expected him to continue to be the star receiver, and the opposite has happened, obviously. It's weird. It's almost as if Baker Mayfield is better with him off the field in generally. I mean, I know last year he the Browns really struggled towards the beginning of the season, and then once he got injured, I believe, in the Dallas game last year, or it was like week five or week six, he went down. And then Cleveland went off on the run, and yes, they do use, use the run a lot of the time, right? They love to run the ball with their two great backs. and um, But I think it's weird how... Oh, when he's when OBJ is off the field, we see Baker throw the ball better. Even though you'd think with a weapon like Odell, he'd be able to move the ball and get to him uh, even when other receivers aren't open. But he's done a great job of, you know, using these under underappreciated receivers. Landry's even gone under the radar the last couple of years. Donovan Peoples Jones is really looks like a great young receiver, especially when he gets his shot. So I definitely think, honestly, it's probably a benefit for Cleveland. It's a less of a headache if they let him stay home and. Uh, there are reports that they're going to release him, which I think, honestly, if it gets you out of the cap cap hit and if it's best for the locker room, I think it'll help them in the long run. Oh, absolutely. I think that Cleveland knows what they're doing. They know they can take the, the loss of Odell. They've got plenty of receivers that not necessarily as good stat-wise, but can certainly uh, fill in in the meantime. Again, they're always going to rely on their run game with Baker or Case Keenum. Their run game is what really makes the difference. And so I think, really, Odell is kind of getting the short end of the stick here. But I think this is certainly an opportunity for some other teams to potentially pick him up at a lower cost rather than having to trade an arm and a leg for him. I think that someone can pick Odell up and really benefit as well. It's not just Cleveland making a unilateral move to get better. Yeah, I agree. Um I'm curious to see if they do end up releasing him, where he'll end up. I know a lot of reports have said New Orleans, which I think is probably a good spot for him, considering he'd step in and be the receiver right off the bat, be the number one guy, um, and they need receiver help. Obviously, with Michael Thomas now expected to miss the entire season, there are also reports going to places like Kansas City, maybe, uh, I'm trying to think of another place. But like a place like Kansas City, I could see him going to and maybe potentially try and ring chase, but at the same time as... He wants to be the guy, and I think that's part of the issue in Cleveland is that they realize that 
when they try to force the ball to him, it just doesn't work for their offense. And I think him trying to sacrifice and go somewhere else, he'd really have to put his ego aside. And I just don't know if OBJ is willing to do that based on his last two, uh, based on Cleveland and New York. Yeah, and I've got a thought. You know, there's a there's one place we've been saying all year that needs talent at pretty much every offensive position. I think it could be a good start to get them a really solid receiver that he's got the opportunity to be the guy they go to and has the opportunity to really help them out. And I think it would be great if he could go to the Lions and really kind of provide that. Uh, that being said, his track record in Cleveland is probably, you know, it's got me on the fence about that because, you know, maybe he doesn't have the capacity to be that guy. But I think that I, I wouldn't put Detroit out of the running to look to pick him up, especially if they don't have to trade for him. Looking at this list, some of the top spots are New Orleans is number one. You got the Patriots, which he's always been linked to going there. I don't think that would work for them. I think New England's similar to Cleveland from the standpoint of while they don't have the best talent on offense, it's the system that they run that is effective. It's and Belichick's right. system. And it's been quite effective, even though they got receivers like, you know, Jacoby Myers has been really good this year, sneaky good receiver. Uh, they've been running the football well with Damian Harris and Mac Jones. Not hasn't been Tom Brady, but he's definitely showing that signs of he can lead an offense and run run that team the way Belichick wants it. Uh, the Raiders, obviously, uh, the Henry Rugg situation is quite unfortunate. Um, it's I obviously then now they do have an opening at receiver. I'm not sure. I mean, OBJ would probably fit in that organization with how how much crap goes on there every other week. With but anyways, um, the Chiefs, the Niners are also I think a spot they could go to. It's just a question on what OBJ wants, right? If he wants to go be the guy somewhere and play for a lesser team, he can come to Detroit, right? But if he wants to, he's got to put his ego aside if he wants to get the championship that he could win in Cleveland because that's a very good team. But he's got to learn to put his ego aside and just play as a team player, and he hasn't been able to do that yet. Yeah, he's kind of faced with the decision if he wants to go somewhere like Detroit and be the all-star of the team but not be able to get the ring or – be put in a situation like Antonio Brown and kind of play second fiddle to someone like Chris Godwin. You know, does he want the ring or does he want to be known as, you know, I am the go-to receiver. You know, does he want to be known as the Devontae Adams of a team? And I think that's the decision that he'll see. Yeah, I definitely think that OBJ or Antonio Brown is a good example that OBJ should try and follow is that, you know, Brown went there last year and kind of, you know, was second fiddle, was the third receiver for a while, and now this year he's gotten his chance, and you could argue he's their number one receiver again, right? They're, when he's at when he's healthy, he has been an absolute threat, right? Obviously with those three receivers, somebody's going to be open for Tom Brady to throw to. But um, I would definitely say that OBJ has to learn to put his ego aside and so that way these teams can feel confident to go and get him and bring him into a locker room because all these teams are trying to go win a championship, and it would really suck to bring in Odell midway through the season and then he just implodes your entire locker room and then you don't even make the playoffs or you continue to struggle yeah and I think that's really been the problem with Odell from the beginning is he really has not been able to set aside his ego you know he's had several PR stunts I remember years ago back when the whole net situation with him hitting it and then I think it was he ended up proposing to it like it was just I don't know what he was thinking he is a player that really needs to you know, like Antonio Brown, learn that there are times when you just got to give up your ego if you really want to just get better and win. So it'll be really interesting to see what happens uh, and where he goes and what teams actually actively try and pick him up. 
So it'll be a really interesting story to follow. Yeah, it's definitely going to be interesting. Uh, tonight in the NFL, we have Thursday night football. It's quite not the not a very awesome, not a very exciting matchup. But you got the Jets heading to Indianapolis to take on the Colts. Uh, what are your thoughts on the game tonight? Well, first of all, I really wasn't expecting the Jets to beat Cincinnati. So I think they really have a better chance at winning this game than I would have thought. I think uh, Mike White, of course, only having played two games for the Jets, has already put up some fantastic stats. Uh, I think it's uh, 607 yards with four touchdowns. Uh, granted, he's thrown four interceptions, but for a basically brand-new quarterback, I think he is a fantastic pick for the Jets to start. Uh, with that being said, I also think that this is Indianapolis's chance to really go after their division, especially with Derrick Henry out for the Titans. I think this is their chance to kind of gain that momentum and o- overtake them. So it'll be really, I think it'll be a really close game. I agree. I think the 10 point spread is really disrespectful towards the Jets. Um, they do play hard. I, a lot of people credit their win last week to the Bengals underperforming, which I would agree. But to some extent, but at the same time, the Jets really came out and played with played with a lot of passion last week. Um, they really shut down the run, which is great on defense. I think Robert Sala has done a great job there at the Jets, really changing that culture. And they definitely look different, kind of similar to how the Lions have looked this year, where the team isn't that good, but you're definitely seeing changes in how the team plays, which is always a good sign. And yes, Mike White's thrown four picks in the first game and a half, but to go 37 for 45 and 400 yards in your first career game, first career start, I should say. That's pretty impressive. Uh, he is definitely, I mean, if he comes out again and plays well this week, you really have to consider, especially the way Zach Wilson struggled to start the year. I don't think they'll give up on Wilson, right? Have you spent your second overall pick on him? And I don't think you can just throw him aside like that. But it definitely, uh, some more impressive performances from Mike White could definitely cause some controversy in New York. Yeah, I think at the very least, you see Mike White get more rotations in in certain games where either they look like they're clearly going to win or when Zach Wilson is just severely underperforming. I don't think Robert Sala is going to hesitate to put Mike White in. I also think you're going to see him at least take up a lot more of that preseason time uh, in those preseason games. So I really think that uh, Mike White definitely has a future with the Jets as a, a very solid backup, if not replacing starter, depending on how Zach Wilson does the rest of the year well if he keeps playing well maybe a team like the Texans will give him a ridiculous amount of money when he hasn't actually proven himself like Brock Osweiler anyways uh for the Colts I think that tonight is a obviously a must-win game you're at three and five Derrick Henry going down opens up the division you should have won last week with him with him playing against you but uh this is one you got to win if you want to get back in the division it's definitely still open for you to take Carson Wentz has been good this year. He's been much better. There's been times where he's shown his uh, his at final days in Philly where he's shown, you know, he makes dumb dumb mistakes, dumb throws. But for the most part, he's done a really good job getting the ball to his receivers and using what he has around him. Uh, Colts definitely look like a much improved team with him there. Obviously, the record doesn't show it yet. Um, I think they pull this one out tonight. Truly at home, I don't see any reason why they can't run the football effectively with Jonathan Taylor and that great O-line. And, I mean, I think it's just going to be tough for the Jets to stop all the weapons that the Colts do have. 
Yeah, I'd have to agree that I, I think the Colts will probably take this one. I mean, never underestimate the home field advantage. In a game as close as this one, never underestimate that. So I wouldn't put it more than, you know, three to five point spread if I had to give odds on this game. I think ten and a half right now is way too high. Um, but, I mean, we'll see. I think it, I think it'll come down to really how Mike White can perform on the road and if he continues to throw interceptions or if he can step back and really show just an increase in maturity and, you know, in really not really intelligence, but just kind of start performing like a quarterback with experience. Uh, so I think it'll really come down to does the pressure get to him? Yeah, I definitely think it'll be a much closer game than 10 points, especially with it being a short week, both teams, obviously Thursday night football, so the quick prep, the quick turnaround is definitely going to play a factor into that. I would probably take the Colts by by a touchdown. It'll definitely be a one-possession game, but I see no reason why the Colts can't take this one out. Moving on, we have some breaking news in the NHL world this morning. Jack Eichel, the captain, the former captain of the Buffalo Sabres, has been traded to the Vegas Golden Knights. Got quite the haul for him. Vegas had to give up their first-round pick this coming year, their second-round pick next year for the 2023 draft, Alex Tuke, a young forward, and Peyton Krebs, another young forward prospect. They also, or Vegas also received a third-round pick in 2023, but everybody's talking about getting Jack Eichel. What are your thoughts on the trade? Yeah, I think this is just really interesting. You know, Vegas is one of those teams that I really think is almost there in terms of being able to get the Stanley Cup. You know, the past few years, they've been really good, but they just can't quite make it. And so, obviously, them letting uh, it was Fleury go either – I forget if it was – I think it was this past year he went to Chicago. Yep, yep. I, I don't really see why they did that. You know, he's one of the better goaltenders in the league. And I think that – this is showing a little bit more promise in terms of, you know, making the better roster decisions. I think letting one of the better goaltenders in the NHL go was really questionable, but picking up Jack Eichel is certainly something to look forward to for Golden Knights fans. So I don't think it'll quite make that difference to get them all the way, but I think it's a start. Well, obviously, he'll still have to be out for a couple months, still dealing with that neck injury. I believe he's planning on getting surgery soon, and so he'll be ready to go in a couple months. I This feels like a panic move for Vegas. I think their window has passed. I don't uh, Letting Fleury go was quite um, was interesting. I know he had had his issues with Vegas before, obviously, when they brought in Leonard. Leonard has struggled to start the year. I, I, I feel like this move is to try and... Like the window is closing on Vegas, we know that. Obviously, they went and tried to go with the win now mentality out of the expansion draft, and they've missed. Obviously, made the cup their first year, came up short, just close the last couple of years. The window is closing, right? Their their top players are starting to get up there in age, and I think them going for Eichel is them to try and say, "Hey, this is our last ditch effort." They gave up a lot for him. I don't think it's going to work out. I think Eichel is damaged goods. I think that it's going to be tough. It's definitely going to be interesting to see how he plays when he does come back from his injury. And for for Buffalo, you got rid of that was a horrible situation you were in, right? There was no he was never going to play in a Sabres uniform again. So what you got for him, it's definitely. I mean, I I mean, yeah, first round pick out of it, a couple top prospects to help you out and help build. 
right? That team is obviously, I mean, they've had a pretty good start to their season. They're third in the Atlantic through the first 10 games of the season, which is pretty impressive. Will that stay? Probably not. But it's definitely nice to see that they're trying to really build and get back towards the future. Yeah, especially with the Sabres coming off of just really horrible records in the past few years, going almost winless. Was, and it's really surprising to see their turnaround. And I agree that this was a very last-minute last uh, opportunity for the Golden Knights. It seems like this is the kind of play where it's fourth and long, you got to go for it, so you throw a Hail Mary, and you just pray that it ends up working out in the end. You know, we still have yet to see. Uh, Buffalo clearly got a lot out of this, no doubt about it. So I really think, you know, only time will tell if this move ends up really working in Vegas's favor. Right. Obviously, Jack Eichel is only, I believe he's in his mid-20s right now. Uh, he is currently 25 years old. He just turned 25 like last week. So the contract that he's on doesn't look terrible, but this feels an awful lot like the Eric Carlson trade the Sharks made a couple years ago. They went and got him. They gave up a lot of prospects for him. Then they doubled down and really strapped themselves for cap, and they're seeing the effects now. They've the last couple of years, they're really having trouble putting together a full team. I think Vegas is going to run into that issue very soon, and I and if it do, if they don't get championship out of it this year, the, the next couple of years could be bumpy for Vegas, where they really, yeah, their first five six years in the league were impressive, and everybody remembers those. But then there's going to be some dark times ahead, especially if they don't get championship out of it. It's going to really suck for that franchise to to go all in like that, and then obviously come up short. Yeah, I think if this doesn't work out, I think over the next few years you'll see Vegas have to go back into that rebuilding situation for the next couple of years, which no fan likes to see. You really got to take a step back and, you know, roll with the punches and the losing records. If in that situation, I don't want it to happen because, again, I've kind of been pulling for the Knights a little bit, but I think that the Golden Knights really are in a situation where it's 50-50 whether or not this actually ends up working out for them. And it will determine the next few years of their their franchise history. I agree. If Eichel comes back healthy, they're, they're going to be dangerous, right? He is one of the best center. He's a top 10 player in the league when he's healthy, but he's had issues of staying healthy. And it's a question on whether or not his injury he can truly recover from. But we'll just have to wait and see. Only time will tell. Moving on, we're going to come back to the college football rankings that we talked about yesterday. Obviously, it was released Tuesday night. Top four was Georgia, Alabama, Michigan State, and Oregon. There was a lot of talk yesterday about the, uh, the a lot of people were questioning the uh, decisions by the committee, especially with undefeated teams like Wake Forest placed so high in the, or placed so low in the rankings. And just curious on your thoughts on what you thought of some of the teams positioning from Tuesday night. So I don't necessarily disagree with Wake Forest positioning. You know, they've had a fantastic year, but the conference they play in is certainly not the most competitive. I I do have a question for you. Would Clemson, if Clemson, all right, say they lose to Georgia anyways, because Georgia's really good this year. If they were 8-1, and 7-1, would they be higher than 8? Would they be higher in the rankings than where Wake Forest is right now? If Clemson was seven and if, one, if Clemson was seven and one, let's say they lose to Georgia because that's a really good game, and Wake Forest would lose to Georgia, would they be higher than eight? Would they be in the top seven teams? Yes, but not 
it, it wouldn't be something I would be happy about. I think that would mainly be because Clemson's name carries a lot of weight, and it has over the past few years in college football. And I think that they would put them higher if they were 7-1 than they put Wake Forest. That's not really how I would structure this, but that's how I would see the NCAA structuring their college playoff rankings. I would have to, I would agree that on the statement that Clemson would be higher. I definitely think that they do take into account your, let's say, your brand, right? Obviously, that takes into account, right? Bama with that loss to AM. AM's 14th in the rankings right now. Uh, they are, yeah, 14th, which isn't a bad loss when you look at it. losing by three on the road isn't that bad. But would they be higher than, I mean, un, if they were undefeated, Michigan State had lost to Michigan. Mi- Michigan State obviously would be much lower in the rankings. So a lot of people are questioning the, just the how how they actually rank and how they the committee actually ranks these teams. Obviously, they try and say they use a lot of metrics, and then they say they use the eye test. Personally, I think they should just use the eye test, right? You can see when a team is that much better. But what do you think how they should actually be ranking these teams? Yeah, I kind of have to agree. And honestly, I think they, I think this year really has showed a lot of the biases that you know the, the committee has towards bigger name teams. You know, I think nobody really expected Michigan State to do this well and to get this far. And, you know, whether or not it was the AP poll or the college rankings, ESPN picks, you know, everyone discounted Michigan State's team. And now that we or now that Michigan State beat Michigan, I think you saw a lot of people struggle to kind of appease that market and say, oh, well, now Michigan State can go all the way. It was this huge 180 in opinions, and I think that it really shows that this has been a year of upsets and underdogs, and I think that the college football rankings really are kind of skewed in that sense. Yeah, I definitely think, uh, looking at these rankings, there's definitely a mix of where they chose to go with the eye test compared to, like, I they put Oregon ahead of Ohio State. I think if Ohio State plays them again, they win. I think playing that week two game, obviously Oregon was the better team that game, but we've definitely seen a different Ohio State team these last few weeks. They've been very impressive. And obviously teams like Cincinnati, right? They're 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 sitting there, even though they're eight and zero, right? They've been impressive the last few years. They're still not giving them the respect they deserve. Same thing with Wake Forest. I'm just it's struggling to find where the consistency is, and that's been a problem for years. And I think I mean, I don't know how it would solve it, but I'd like to see them expand the playoff from the standpoint that this year, Georgia's the best team. I, I, I would, if, if anybody other than Georgia wins it, I'd be surprised, even Bama. And from that standpoint, is, it doesn't matter if there's a four-team playoff or just a national championship game, we're pretty sure he's going to win. So why not have this 10 or 12 or 16-team playoff where we get to see a lot of these top-end teams, right, watching Michigan State go out and play in Oklahoma in a playoff game would be a lot of fun. Yeah, I think, you know, certainly it would be really amazing to see an expanded playoff. And I think in return, you could certainly cut back on the number of minor bowl games. Uh, really, some of those minor bowl games aren't really interesting to to really watch. And I'd really like to see an expanded playoffs when you can have more teams play, you know, out-of-conference games that really have this huge weight. I think it would be a really great situation to see because you'd have more fans, 
invested in more important games because you don't just play one bowl game and then that's it. You have the potential to keep going. And I think that would be a much better situation. And that in turn would free up more uh, important name bowl games for some of the smaller teams that wouldn't be able to make the playoffs. Yeah, I would compare this football season to basketball season last year. Coming into March Madness, I think we all knew Gonzaga and Baylor were going to see each other. They were the clear best two teams in the country, and it still made for one of the best March Madnesses we've had ever because of all the upsets and all the the um, I think of the word. A lot of teams were really close and tight to together. There wasn't much difference between the two seed and the five seed, right? There were a lot of upsets and a lot of exciting basketball played, and I think that would happen this year, right? I mean, if Michigan State were to go out and play. Uh, a Kentucky team, the, the who's ranked 18th in a playoff game, in a one, single game, I would still take State, but that'd be an exciting football game. There isn't that m- much of a divide in college football this year, other than the top teams. So I definitely think this would be a great season to have a playoff. But I, I'm not quite sure what's keeping them from expanding. To be honest, I mean, there's definitely the money to be made. I would have to imagine they'd make more money showing playoff games on TV all of December than showing. The, the Bahamas Bowl between Central Michigan and uh, Middle Tennessee State, right? Well, I think it, w- it comes down to the sponsorship money that they get for bowl games. You know, bowl games all have sponsors, and I think if you were to expand the playoffs and cut back on the number of bowl games, then you, you clearly miss out on guaranteed sponsorship money. And then you're really gambling on, you know, certain franchises not really bringing in a lot of television viewership or not going and actually putting a lot of fans in the seats. So I think the biggest thing preventing them from doing that is just giving up that guaranteed money. You know, obviously they have the potential to make so much more if they were to expand the playoffs, but it's the fact that that's not guaranteed. It's a gamble, and I think that's what they struggle with in terms of actually expanding it. I think they should expand it to a 2014 playoff. That's how they do it in the FCS and D2 levels. That's how they at pretty much every other level of football other than uh, FBS. Um, I would definitely say that with that, you'd have 23 playoff games. I believe, I'm not sure how many, but most years, if you either have a Power 5 team or a ranked team playing a bowl game, you usually get like 25-ish of those. Other All the rest of them are usually group group of five schools, which... I mean, people still watch, but the viewership is much lower. So I think if you were to replace that, you had 23 playoff games that everybody sat around and watched. And obviously some games would get more viewership than others. You can't deny that. But I really think that there would be a lot of money to be made, and I think it would create a lot more excitement around college football. And if you have to take out, you know, the week one team, or week, week one of the regular season, right, so Bama can't play Mercer now. Yeah, that hurts those schools, but truly I think it would make for a much more exciting college football experience. Yeah, and I think going back to a point you made earlier, I think it would be very similar to the March Madness we saw last year. You get a lot of these you know, really evenly matched games where they just duke it out to see who's better, and then you get a lot of upsets and trap games. And I, you know, from a fan perspective, I think it would be really interesting for some of these smaller schools to potentially see their team take on a bigger name and potentially win. Yeah, I also, I also, sorry, uh, I'd also think that with 2014 playoff, you could let all 10 conferences would get a bid. If you win your conference championship, like in March Madness, you get in. That would create more excitement for the lower conferences too, right? You get more people to watch Maction in the middle of November, right? Because if you have, right, and it also helps these programs 
So now they have not just an incentive to go out and win their conference just for the pride of saying, hey, we're the best in the MAC. Now they can go out and now they get their opportunity to go out and play. They get to go out and play Bama, and right, and probably they might get their doors blown off, right? But that happens every year in March Madness too. But it's more about the money that they get from it and more of the exposure to help these smaller programs. I also think that most years there's only one or two conferences that don't have their champion ranked in the top 25 or 20, 24 anyways. So I don't think there would be that much of a competitive disadvantage, especially in the early rounds. So, but I think that's going to do it for us today. Today is Wednesday or Thursday, November 4th. I am your host, Matt Merrifield. I was joined today with Jacob, De- or Jacob Phillips, and I hope you have a great rest of your day. You've been listening to Impact Sports Daily.